need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he knows it was Julie Bowen all along. It's Andy Greenwald. Great to see you. Great to hey, be man. here. Great to see you too. Uh, we have a fun episode of The Watch today. Sadly, no Ethan Hawke. But you can't win them all. Today we're talking about uh, Donald Glover's new overall deal at Amazon and the latest episode of WandaVision, all coming up next on The Watch. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Hey there. You know that Hulu has movies, right? Well, if you didn't, we're here to tell you Hulu has movies. Hulu has acclaimed movies like All of Us Strangers starring Paul Meskel and Andrew Scott, Suncoast starring Woody Harrelson and Laura Linney, and Cat Person with Amelia Jones and Nicholas Braun. So head over to Hulu if you like movies because you guessed it, Hulu has movies. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. What's going on, man? How are you? Well, I feel a little... First of all, thanks for asking. I appreciate it. I, I feel a little... Uh, churlish because I was going to comment on the fact that it's 79 degrees and sunny here. Uh And I think it's, we literally live in Westview because I think the rest of the country is suffering under truly terrible weather that I'm not even trying to make light of. And I feel uh, remarkably privileged that we don't have that right now. My heart goes out to people, certainly in Texas, but everyone on the East Coast who's just getting dumped on. That's terrible. I know. My mom is like, it's just like, it's never ending. It's like, it's up there with like 96 what was the year in the eighties that was just like the like I built Hoth outside of my house? You mean like in the like the the Wall Street yuppie day trader sense that it was snowing all the time? Yeah, in the like 80s? In, the, in the we got it for cheap volume two sense that I built Hoth. <laughs> like Jay McInerney was building Hoth near the West Side Highway where the bread bakers are. Um, I don't I don't remember the specific year of our youth in which we built okay. snowmen relatively near one another. No, <laughs> not in the GZ sense. No. I don't remember that. Um, Andy, there was a couple of uh, news things I wanted to talk to you about before we did WandaVision as we typically do on Mondays. First of all, did you watch anything cool this weekend? Um, I like starting with this question. Did I watch anything cool this weekend? Uh, No, it was a pretty un... Not much screen time. Not much screen time this weekend. Did you read? Did you... I did. Yeah, I've been, I've been, thanks. Thanks. For I don't know, we're just really, talking, we're just two guys. You're really, you're really poking around and I appreciate <laughs> it. I, I don't have anything new to report on this, on my screen time this weekend. Did you watch anything cool? Yeah, no, I checked out um, Behind Her Eyes, which I would like to talk about at length with someone. Uh, that is an erotic thriller on uh, Netflix <laughs> starring Eve Hewson, who we love from The Nick, which is now streaming on HBO Max. We're going to talk um, about that. And we could talk about that. Uh, but Behind Her Eyes is quite a ride. And I finished The Head, which I wanted to not spoil for you, but I was going to, I can't tell if I want you to finish it or not. Okay, well, let's let's unpack that uh, piece by piece. Okay. Um, piece number one, Behind Her Eyes. Yeah. Uh, I Googled, reader, I Googled. Don't, yeah, I read don't about, spoil I did. it because they're trying their hardest to spoil it for me on the internet. But you, oh, so you haven't finished? No, I watched one episode. Oh. 
Okay, so I won't spoil. I actually, you know, I know we had a long talk about you not wanting to be spoiled, but this I was like, I'm not going to be watching this. So I feel free. It's the same way I You're feel about horror movies. You're not a big erotic thriller movies. guy. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. So when you saw the logline, an erotic thriller. I was thinking to myself, it's been a while since I tried one. Okay. You know, right. it's like, these were, these. this is a genre that in some ways was very formative for me and Andy growing up in the 90s. Sure. You couldn't throw a stone without hitting an erotic thriller. A Joe Esterhaas script steaming, yeah. <laughs> steaming from the, uh, the, the pure sexual tension between Michael Douglas and, and Sharon Stone or William Baldwin and Sharon Stone. Do, do, <laughs> you know how in, and this is another genre that is uh, a little bit underserved these days, but you know, it, it, there was the genre of like coming of age stories. Sure. Particularly, and like generally they would show like the young Generally, sad to say, the young the young man who would grow into our main character. Um, you know, the one day that the neighbor took a shower with the window open or like went to the ice machine and cooled her brow and that yeah. fueled everything. I don't think you could do that for my uh, relevant experience here, which was the time I went to Disney World with my friend Brian and his mom took us to see Basic Instinct in the <laughs> theater. <laughs> I'm I haven't recovered. Yeah. But I guess in the scheme of things, just in terms of the the psychological blast radius, I was clear of it. You know what I mean? Because it wasn't my mother. So it was I I I will say that the behind her eyes has some pretty steamy sex scenes. It's steamy. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like normal people, it's like I feel like normal sex, it's it's kind of like that's what you it's sort of like an extension of the two people trying to find one another and like find out who they are in the world. The sex in behind her eyes so far has been of a different variety. So shout out to them. Shout out to Eve Houston. Is it what is that? It's on a boat. Like, what do you? What do you like? No, it just seems to have like uh, it's loaded. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of like mind games going on in it. In the taxonomy of genres that interest you, the other week, and we're going to talk about the head now. You said that everything goes wrong at an Antarctic yeah uh, top science five, station. Top five for me. Yeah. You've also recently mentioned other genres, including couples fighting. And things go topsy turvy on a beach. Yeah, I mean, like just like we went to the we went to paradise and it was hell. Okay, and then erotic thrillers top five? No, I don't think so. I find erotic thrillers to be like they've kind of outworn their usefulness to me. I think is a fair way to say it. D- did I did I say <laughs> like if you've <laughs> yeah, seen five erotic thrillers, do you need to see right. the sixth? Is I guess my question. Okay, what's your what's your top erotic thriller? That's a great question. Um... Sean Fennessy, erotic thrillers movie draft, you coward. No, Let's I mean, he did, he did he, Sean and Amanda did an erotic thrillers oh, that's um, right. I, I actually episode. even, I think I tweeted that admonition at him at, back then too. I like Body Double. I like Basic Instinct. Yeah. Um, Deja Vu, I think is pretty La- erotic. Last Seduction, remember that? Yeah, of course. That sure. was a good movie. Yeah. Um, did I say last week that I, when I was thinking about your uh, favorite genres, that I do think my favorite genre of film is extended family gather at a summer home for a weekend? Yes. Yeah. That's what, my favorite what, genre what, of movie. What is like? Is that like Gosford Park? What, what's the? What, oh, what's the well, you could you could maybe do that. I was thinking like like summer hours, all of Ozu's movies. Um, <laughs> You're in your like, Criterion bag. Still walking. I saw recently a Japanese film. It's just anytime families gather. Talk about stuff over meals. Secrets come out. Love that. That's my favorite genre of film. Um, yeah, but I did finish the head. Uh, highly okay, recommend so, for. Got what we're gonna say. I wanted to ask you because we 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 called attention to the head the other week. An Arctic thriller, really clever conceit, a lot of fun 
to talk about the first few episodes uh, with you. And I did try to dip back in. And I got to tell you, I found it I found it a struggle. because yeah. You found it the opposite of an erotic thriller. <laughs> I did. I still liked the conceit and I wanted to know what was going on. But I would say that the, the dialogue does sound like it's been run through a Canary Island through Iceland filter. There were a couple of times watching The Head where I couldn't tell if I was watching something dubbed. Yes, even though it was mostly in English, yeah. other than it is a little bit in, as you said correctly, it was a little bit in Borgonese. Yes, uh, I, I found it very entertaining. You know, I, I think um, we're in the dog days of, the, of, of being inside. So I, I will give anything like a pretty long leash. So I watched, you know, I, I watched this excitedly. Like I was really interested to see how it wound up. I don't feel like I can, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but there is, uh, I, I think the twists are, are well-earned and, and pretty amusing and pretty entertaining. Okay. So you think I should do it? Uh, I could just tell you what happens. No, no, I, I, I've now establishing a new benchmark where I will spoil myself. But you don't want me to do it. No, is that an erotic thriller? Are we <laughs> sketching out the parameters? Is this, is this consensual? Is this okay? Um, hey, so I wanted to ask you the biggest story that happened last week. We were obviously recording with Ethan Hawke. Uh, so that was, we didn't really hit it on the Thursday show. Mm. Was the announcement that Donald Glover had signed this new overall deal at Amazon. And as the streamers have gotten uh, up and running and have started to grind more stuff out, I feel like in the last 15 months, especially 20 months, especially we've heard a lot of announcements of these overall deals. And we throw these words around and we expect everybody to kind of understand them. And, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I thought maybe it would be useful using the Donald Glover deal as an example. Mm-hmm. If you could kind of talk our talk to our listeners a little bit about what an overall deal is. Um, because I think as we go on, these will start to gain a little bit of transactional significance the way like an NBA trade might or the way, you know, just the casting news used to for these shows. I think seeing where people are are landing, where they're setting up their shingles is kind of, kind of a fascinating development. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's certainly, like with many things, there's levels to them. But uh, big picture... An overall deal is a deal that a, an artist, generally a writer slash producer, will sign with a studio, which puts them uh, exclusively, uh, aligns them exclusively with that studio for all of their TV work. I guess you could also see one where it's for all of their work if it's the studio in question does uh, TV and films, but often right. one is one is carved out over the other. And they range dramatically. I am under an overall deal at UCP, but part of Universal. Mine was not announced in the trades, nor did it have a nine-figure price tag attached to it like Donald Glover's, nor should it have. (laughs) Did it have Um, a carve-out for you to finish Atlanta, though? Weirdly, I did ask for that, and it was denied, but I did get a carve-out to continue my starring role as Lando Calrissian in upcoming Star Wars adventures. Um, From a artist, writer, producer, director perspective, um, it can the reason you you might want an overall deal is first and foremost, obviously, job security. Um, if you are working in television, you are generally paid in kind of a haphazard fashion, depending on your deliverables. Um, your deal for writing or producing a TV show might be dependent on you know a format document, then a, a an, an outline, and then a script, and then if that script is accepted, and then revisions, and then if it goes to series, then your producing fee per episodes. If you are under an overall deal, you are paid a lump sum every month and all those other 
benchmarks that I mentioned are called charge-offs, basically, okay. against the overall value of the deal. So if you were incredibly prolific, potentially you could out-earn your overall deal uh, and be paid on top of it if the amount of work you're doing for the studio goes far and beyond the number that they had agreed to pay you for a year, two years, or three years. Um, once you're getting into these mega deals, which generally happen only for the biggest stars or the biggest multi-hyphenates. The J.J. Abrams over at, H- at Warner HBO Max, yeah. Well, I think there's, there's even a tier beyond that. So for Donald Glover or Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who are starring together in Mr. and Mrs. Smith for Amazon, um, they are stars themselves and actors who also write and create their own vehicles and potentially create their own vehicles for others. When you get up to like the Shonda Rhimes, J.J. Abrams category, you're bringing an entire company sure. into your studio and under the rubric of your studio. And there's going to be a vast number of projects as well as a vast number of employees being being folded in. This was significant to me for a number of reasons. One, I mean, we predicted it on the podcast the other you week. You predicted it, yeah. Yeah, but anything I say, we say, unless it's about erotic thrillers, in which case I feel like we should be very clear who's articulating what. Um, you know, I, I we don't know the particulars. We certainly don't know the status of Donald Glover's relationship with FX, which has been mutu- hugely mutually beneficial to them, mm-hmm. um, or what Amazon was, was offering. I think it, you could safely say that in the pre-Disney merger days, Amazon could definitely outspend FX, not necessarily the case today, but I don't really know who's who's cashing which checks within that large company. I think that clearly, uh, well, first of all, it was couldn't have been too acrimonious because, as you said, he's about to go into production on seasons three and four in Atlanta, which means that Amazon will potentially be paying him while he's working on a show for someone else. Sure. Uh, those seasons are going to get done. And clearly he has empire-building dreams of his own. I mean, in it, this hasn't officially been announced, but in the Variety story... Um, the Kate Arthur wrote the kind of or the Hollywood Reporter story that broke the news. It said that it listed another project that was coming with him and well, listed Malia Obama as a staff I thought writer almost on it. as significant. The most significant thing in here was that he was going to, I think, get his own channel within Amazon Prime. That he which would was very curate. interesting. Yeah, which is an it is an I think new. I don't remember hearing about somebody else getting the. And I wonder whether there is a, a sign of things to come, whether or not HBO Max in the future would have the J.J. Abrams channel or whether or not, you know, you would start to see Apple TV say, Steven Spielberg, here's a billion dollars. Executive it's pretty smart. It, yeah. It doesn't cost them very much to just add something to their UI and have a button on it. Actually, I'm probably wrong. It probably costs them $50 million every time they change I, the yeah, shade but of purple. Like, I, but, this, is a, this is something that we don't talk about a lot is how these streaming services are being organized. And the yeah. extent to which they're not being organized. And I think that the the question that emerges for me from Donald Glover leaving FX is if it's purely a greener pastures, let's try something new, let's part as friends who created beautiful Emmy-winning work together, or they just simply outspent him or whatever, that's fine. And I have no reason to think otherwise. But it does open up a potential question of how does a talent like Donald Glover fit into the Disney-verse going forward? Mm-hmm. Now, Disney has been very, very careful about carving out FX as, and I think even probably investing in FX as a brand that distinguishes itself from the rest of of the the kid stuff, essentially that Disney's in the business of making. Right, like they FX on Hulu is it's 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 a 
basically separated twice. It's not just its own thing. It's its own yeah. thing on Hulu. Yes. So clearly they are still investing in more grown-up fare. But how far does that stretch? And how much of Donald Glover leaving has to do with him either not wanting to or not liking any deals that were offered to play Lando in the future? Or how much of this has to do with the um, Deadpool script? It was supposed to be a Deadpool animated series mm-hmm. that he was going to do for FX, and, and that never made it to air. It's interesting. You know, I, clearly he thought that there were more opportunities for him if he took this deal. Um, it's very exciting as people who are fans of him. And his brother came along for the ride too with his own overall deal within this larger mega deal. So it's exciting. Um, it, it, we should also say for people who are fans of Atlanta, they're in pre-production now. Season three and four are being shot concurrently. There is a carve out in the deal, not just for season three and four, but if he ever wants to return to Go back it. and do it. Yeah. And maybe he'll turn Atlanta into something that, while not as prolific, is something similar to what the folks who do another FX show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, do, which is essentially just saying, like, why would we ever end this? You know, and, the, and that was the, the, those guys have been really open about talking to like Larry David about Curb and just being like, just don't stop. Like you, you can do it in all these different ways, but if you like doing it with each other, don't throw that away. And if they want to keep making Atlanta, they could come back to it every two or three years if they wanted to. They could make a, a standalone movie or something like that. And I think the other thing that I would say is the mega, mega deals that Netflix has made over the last few years, particularly people point to the, the Ryan Murphy and the Shonda Rhimes one. Right. Those were really smart. They were really smart. Period. But they were also really smart from a um, content perspective because those two people make TV shows. You know what I mean? They make TV shows that get eyeballs and get attention and get awards. Um, But they are also in the volume business, which is what Netflix is also in. So it it might be interesting to to watch if Amazon seeks to distinguish itself by being in the personality business, for lack of a better term. If they invest in the Phoebe Waller-Bridges and the Donald Glovers and the sort of hyper-talented multi-hyphenates who maybe only make one show a year, if that's what tickles their fancy, but that one show is going to drive conversation. Amazon has limitless money and can do that because they're also spending quarter bill on Lord of the Rings. So they can have it both ways. It's interesting. You you know, we were talking about the UI experience, and I think we've knocked certain companies for being late arriving to the table as a streamer. We've sort of needled different services for not having their shit together on opening day or their library is really hard to navigate. And, you know, in terms of Netflix now, I feel like it's almost exclusively the newest of the new stuff is there. And it's hard to find anything that they have in terms of library. But Amazon actually, for as much stuff as they, that they do that I like, is still the most inscrutable <laughs> of all of these services mm-hmm. in terms of you have to go find this stuff. Like just the video offerings, one, you know, there, there are different ways to watch Amazon, obviously, and there in some ways it's much more elegant. I, I think on, on certain services, you can kind of see all the channels. It's another one of those things that aggregates some of your other pay cable channels mm-hmm. so that you can watch Stars or HBO or, or Sundance or whatever. But um, at least on the browser and like in a couple of different ways, it takes a little bit of work to find what you're looking for on Amazon. And so I wonder whether or not they are recognizing that by being like, we're going to give this person a channel, we're going to allow them to have a little bit of influence over the skin of this thing and how it looks and how it feels. Yeah, I think that also speaks to something that we've been chattering about for a while, which is I I do think that 
a turn towards curation is in the future for a lot of these services. Uh, I think that that's been an undervalued part of it. And I think in the in the push to decentralize your programming choices and your evening's entertainment, uh, something has been slightly lost. And actually, you know, shepherding some things in a more useful way will be will be will be interesting. And 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 you can start to see that, not necessarily in terms of personality driven channels yet, but on HBO Max, on Peacock, the categories are becoming a little more mm-hmm. bespoke, mm-hmm. you know, or a little more um, designed around the time of year it is or where the conversation might be culturally or whatever. And I think that's probably a helpful thing. Um, before we get to WandaVision, I just thought I would shout out Hope Davis is uh, got announced today that she would be playing um, Sandy. Is it Sandy Dennis? Sandy Furness. Sir, Sandy Furness. Who's Sandy well, Dennis? Sandy- the f- Sandy Dennis, the folk singer. Who Sandy Duncan was the star of the Hogan family. That's right. right. Anyway, Sandy Furness, uh, Hope Davis will be playing his daughter on the season three of Succession, which seems to be up and running and in production. And I have fingers crossed that we will see it around the time that it would normally be released, which is August. I am a million percent here for this. I demand someone out there take the Shepard Fairey Obama poster and just put hope on the hope poster <laughs> because I love Hope Davis. How long were you working on that? I, I Googled it before we started podcasting. I was like, someone must have done this. Right. Some New York City theater stand must have done this already. Isn't love Hope Davis, in, back to the day trippers. Isn't she in the Marvel Universe as like Natasha Romanoff's like tutor at one point in Ultra? Like, isn't Hope Davis like working in the orphanage that raises Black Widow? How dare you? Don't make me Google this while we're recording. I mean, my God. Should I vamp? Hope Davis played Maria Stark in Captain America's Civil War. Okay. Is that his mom? Yeah, I guess so. So who yes. played who played the or, the woman in the orphanage in Ultron? Can we just talk about the fact that Downey's parents in this movie are Slattery and Hope Davis? Yeah. We should be so lucky. Wait, before we get off on the Black Widow tangent, I just want to say... Not only is this exciting, she's a great actress and she should work all the time. And yes, before anyone mentions it, I know she's in the Brian Cranston Showtime show that neither of us watched. Sorry, but I'm excited to watch her in succession. Speaking of um, spoiling things, I really enjoyed reading the uh, the recaps of the finale of that show. Ooh, well, maybe I'll look into that, but not because you told me to, because I chose to. Um, I am really excited for succession to fill a very, very specific lane, which is just scooping up and casting all the great New York actors who are hanging around, especially yeah. now that there's no theater happening. Already, you know, she's playing Sandy Furness's daughter. That's the daughter of Larry Pine, a classic that guy who's basically in like every theater production that's at least one show every season in New York. I think there's a lot of room on who this road. Who are some of the people that you would like to see come into the... I, I mean, I, I think that what we're really looking at is the final big bad. Well, obviously, like Logan yeah. is, the, is the big bad, but the I, I, final boss is Stanley Tucci for me. Wow. You want yeah. Tucci there? When he gets done with his trip around the globe, like he, he comes back mm-hmm. to New York and does, does Succession. Oh, I want crude up on this show. Oh, yeah. But uh, he, I mean, like, don't you feel like the morning show is kind of like in the Succession universe already? Yeah, but I don't watch it. So I'm just talking, we're just specifically focused on okay, my needs cr- right you now. You want crud up and we got, and we got Tucci. Who would um, be another, another draft pick? From the New York theater community? Yeah. Well, let me just go through the playbill I have of the production of Coast of Utopia I saw at Lincoln Center in 2006. Who is the lady who's like in all the revivals? Is it Kelly something? She's in like King and I and stuff? Kelly O'Hara? Yeah. Let's get her in it. 
Kelly O'Hara would be great. That'd be dynamite. I love this. I love this. Let's shout out to all the watch theater heads. You are not well served on this podcast, but we do our best. They're Before better we... served on this podcast than they are <laughs> on any other Ringer podcast. That's fair. Before we move on, you mentioned it before. Let's just call attention to the fact that two great shows of the 21st century that were lost unfairly to streaming are now both on HBO Max where they always should have been. And these were the Cinemax originals, the Nick and Banshee. And, and, and I, Carly. Yeah. No, sorry. And, I, and, and, and finally, speaking of erotic thrillers, Cinemax had a lot to offer. Cinemax. Last century. I mean, like, you know, th- their brief moment as prestige TV aside, for most of my life, Cinemax has either been Skinemax mm-hmm. or it's been where like guys break one another's legs. Why can't it be both? I know, right? Usually one leads to the other in the hothouse environment of Cinemax. Um, Quick backstory here. As Chris was saying, Cinemax was like the extra channel for people who don't even remember cable that you could also, for an extra fee on your HBO subscription, you could get. And they showed movies during the day and then they showed a different kind of movie later at night. Um, In the last decade, as prestige television was exploding, there was an effort within HBO to begin promoting uh, original programming on Cinemax and started with a show like Strike Back, which is, you know, kind of a ripped action show that was yeah. well made, but it was basically trying to to skiff on the same kind of vibes that it had been. Things turbocharged um, a bunch of years ago when Steven Soderbergh directed The Nick starring Clive Owen premiered on Cinemax. We've covered this before. The reason the show was on Cinemax was because it was in development in HBO and they, but the development pipeline at HBO, because they only programmed for Sunday nights, was notoriously clogged up and slow. And Soderbergh is like, I don't do slow. I'm going to do this now or I'm not going to do it at all. And so they shunted it to Cinemax. Two brilliant seasons. One of the yep. best medical shows in history. One of the best period shows in history. This is two seasons of television directed by one of our greatest living directors with mind-blowing performances from Clive Owen and Andre Holland. And, you know, I think if you know, you know. If you don't, you didn't have Cinemax or you weren't aware of it. And it's just should be, it should be here to be seen, particularly because it might not even be over because Soderbergh, as we reported last year, we didn't break the story, but we talked about it on the podcast, has uh, basically gifted the franchise to Barry Jenkins Mm -hmm. uh, with the hopes of of resurrecting it with Andre Holland's character and with the original guys who wrote the show. That could be thrilling, but you'd be hard pressed to find better TV to watch at this moment if you haven't seen it than The Nick. And- it, it can feel very overwhelming to keep up with television. I would just say that the Nick is better than most of what's on right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the cool things that you see happen recently is that just, especially in the Netflix top 10, like this random thing will show up in the top 10. You know, sometimes it's Den of Thieves or whatever, but like, and I love Den of Thieves, but sometimes it's something, you know, just kind of like from that recent nostalgia era, like something from the last 10 years and somehow it catches an algorithmic wave and it just winds up getting in front of a lot of people. I hope that starts to happen more often with some of the shows that Andy and I talk about that have been a little bit lost to time. Maybe they're, they were cut short a little too prematurely or maybe like not enough people knew about it. And, you know, I hope that the, the Nick winds up finding a bigger audience than it did maybe the first time around. It's a little bit challenging for sure. But uh, it's some of the best filmmaking you'll see on television. And then uh, not on a separate note in terms of quality, but definitely in terms of, of content and also what it was going for. Banshee 
one of my favorite shows. Uh, if you like Den of Thieves, you probably would like Banshee. If you like erotic yeah. thrillers, you would like Banshee. Tom Pelfrey from Ozark is on it. Yeah. In later seasons. Anthony Starr yeah. is the star. From you know him as Homelander on yeah. The Boys. It is pure pulp. It is just sort of absolutely without shame, down and dirty entertainment. Crazy violence, crazy fight scenes. Uh, and about a uh, unnamed criminal who impersonates the sheriff in a just existentially corrupt small Pennsylvania town. Um, it's a blast. And I know people have been clamoring for us to cover uh, what I might end up being the last Cinemax original show, a show called Warrior mm-hmm. that was created by Jonathan Tropper, who is also the co-creator and was eventually the sole showrunner of Banshee. So if you've missed that link in the development of your favorite action <laughs> TV shows, check it out. The only thing I'm holding out hope for, and I'll just say it loud and proud again, is Quarry, which I think is the best pulp noir show maybe ever on TV. A one-season wonder. Should have been many more. Um, and uh, hopefully HBO Max throws that up there soon. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about WandaVision. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Hey there. You know that Hulu has movies, right? Well, if you didn't, we're here to tell you Hulu has movies. Hulu has acclaimed movies like All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Meskel and Andrew Scott, Suncoast, starring Woody Harrelson and Laura Linney, and Cat Person with Amelia Jones and Nicholas Braun. So head over to Hulu if you like movies, because you guessed it, Hulu has movies. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, brother. Like we do every Monday, we're going to break down the last episode, uh, the most recent episode of WandaVision. This was the, the Modern Family Office episode. This is the Breaking the Fourth Wall episode. This is uh, Elizabeth Olsen going full Julie Bowen um, episode. And I, wa- I thought we could start our conversation. This is going to be a uh, spoilerific talk about what happens in this episode. So if you haven't gotten a chance to watch it, just wait until you do. But I wanted to start off this episode with a tweet from our old buddy Mark Harris, who is obviously 
one of the great cultural critics uh, and um, just somebody that Andy and I admire quite a bit. And Biographer of, of Mike Nichols, new book out now. Here's a plug. Yeah. And he sent out a tweet uh, a couple days ago where he said, so the big reveal in the newest WandaVision episode is something that is comprehensible to only, only to people who are so deeply versed in Marvel that judging from Twitter, they all guessed well in advance. Doesn't seem ideal. I thought this would be an interesting jumping off point because obviously the quote unquote twist of this episode was the Catherine Hahn character has, has orchestrated this entire thing and that she is the big bad, or at least like initially what we think will be the big bad. She is in a montage during her theme song. It was Agatha all along, which is a lot of fun. We basically see all these cut scenes of her, you know, swirling around magic to make Wanda do this or vision do that, or to make the kids do this or make Pietro show up at her door. And this is something that I think goes back to what we were talking about with spoilers, where you were like, I've read these books. I kind of know where they're Mm -hmm. going. And so this will probably, I'm sure that this episode came as no surprise to you. I will say without giving anything away and we could still see this, the drumbeat on the streets was a lot louder than it's Agatha. You know, the drum, like I think that there was an expectation that there was going to be a slightly more significant twist or reveal. I think that could still, still, there still might be. Yeah. We still got two more episodes, but um, let's talk a little bit about this. Did you find this twist, so to speak, fun, disappointing? What did you even consider a twist since you probably knew it was happening anyway? I agree with Mark's tweet. I mean, I, 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 all the caveats that we've been saying about the show apply. Elizabeth Olsen was great. Mm -hmm. She did a great Julie Bowen. (laughs) Catherine Hahn is delightful. The show's, uh, Matt Shackman, the director, deserves credit for this especially. The show's mastery at this stage uh, in its run of the different, quite discordant pieces. Visual languages, yeah. Is really something. You know, I thought maybe more so than earlier in the season when they were starting to merge the worlds. Um, This one it didn't feel like they were pieced together from different shows. It felt all of a piece, even though what's going on outside of the hex or outside of Westview is obviously different from what's going on inside of it. All of that is is true. There were moments of actual um, pathos and charm and wit and pleasure to be found in the episode. But ultimately, I did find myself totally perplexed by what it was all for. Specifically, to Mark's point, what does this mean to anybody? Who 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 is, hasn't read the comic books but has taken a liking to these characters and their you know fascinating um, uh, connection to each other and significance to the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe? Who is who is really checking for it to be a witch that they didn't know about? You know what I mean? I, I it, It's very bizarre to me. And it reminded me of something that I'm not proud of, but I'm going to admit on this podcast because it's just us, which is a couple of weeks ago in a, in a bored moment, I was sort of flipping around on my phone and I found an old uh, app, an endless runner game called Subway Surfers that I downloaded in like 2012. Mm-hmm. And by God, it's still on your phone from 2012. Yeah. Like on the sixth page of apps or whatever. And by God, if I didn't, slip like a uh-huh. like a junkie who thinks you can like just just one more hit and for a couple days i was like boy i'm accomplishing a lot here <laughs> and then i remembered there's no accomplishment 
It just right. is a simulacrum of accomplishment where you get coins and you feel like you've advanced somehow, maybe a high score or a new character. But it's just the same thing over and over and over. And that, that is part of the, the charm and part of its insidious appeal. And it kind of left me with the same empty feeling that this episode did. Because, I, yes, there are two episodes to go. Yes, it's masterfully done. But I don't, I don't, I don't know, especially because it is so, again, to Mark's point, and I'm impressed that he was able to make, he, he was so efficient in his expression of disbelief. He used 260 characters or so, and I'm still talking. Um, that it seems equally unsatisfying on both ends of it, which is to say that from the season premiere, I think I mentioned that the character of Agnes was oddly similar to a character that was important to the development of Scarlet Witch called called Agatha Harkness. The internet was way ahead of this, of course, too, and talking sure. about it and explaining it. So if you already knew it was coming, what is it just a pat yourself on the back moment? And if you didn't know it was coming, what what do you care? I, and so it, it's a it's a strange exercise. And and maybe this is the moment or the beginning of the moment when my own personal relationship with the MCU gets challenged a little bit because I'm just feeling week to week, and I may have even said this last week, so it's becoming a week to week deja vu trapped in Westview of my mind for you guys, that there was something particularly useful about going to the movies, having two hours of like, yeah, Mm -hmm. and then never thinking about it again until the next movie. Now that we are taking our week to week prestige discourse and applying it to a Marvel event movie, essentially, it's leaving me wanting. The way that they're doing these episodes where each one has this sort of distinct feel because of its the homage it's paying towards whatever decade of television that it's um it's being sort of reverential about makes I think us feel like these episodes are more episodic than they are. Um I noticed kind of the way that this episode was laid out while it had a twist ending, it was essentially like 20 minutes from the late second act of a movie. You know, it didn't really have like a beginning, middle, and end. Um, I didn't necessarily think that in traditional terms, the way you kind of think of an episode is having maybe a little bit of thematic cohesion as well as like obvious visual cohesion. It's just kind of like three yards in a pile of dirt, New York Giants, 1980s style offense, where you just like hand it off to Joe Morris and you get a couple of yards downfield and then you're like, okay, we did it. First down. And that will probably be lost on most people who are really deep into WandaVision, but you, you get my drift. Um, let me ask you this. So one of the things I like to do is watch WandaVision and then immediately kind of start reading about what I just watched. And right. that scholarship is sort of divorced from the show, I think. So I found out that the, I got this from, I think the Screen Rant does these weekly Easter egg videos. And the guy who does them mentioned that the date that, Agnes Agatha says is her anniversary to this never seen Ralph mm-hmm. is the same day that the Salem witch trial started. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time believing that they're going to have time to get into that. I mean, maybe next week if they do like a long monologue of exposition with her, she'll mention it. But that's the kind of thing that gives you this weird sugar rush of like, oh, ooh, really? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, I don't, I don't really know what that, effectively changes about my appreciation of the character or the show or anything. I mean, like they are very good at layering shit in and then showing just enough so that someone will make an Easter eggs video about it or will be able to unpack it. But 
I'm not so sure if it really changes how I felt about the show at all. It's just an interesting added benefit to going along on this every week rather than, oh, like if you read about like why they chose this person's character name on Lost and then read the biblical story of that character, you understand that they might yeah. be the, the original something, something. And it, I, I know that, that, that like, I'm not trying to say like it was cool when Lost did it, but it's kind of corny now. But I do think it's, it's like they've kind of tapped into this ability to be engaged with something that almost is free of the text completely. Well, well, I'll speak to the Lost point, which I think is a really good one and a good distinction to make. Regardless of what you felt about Lost or ultimately felt about Lost, there were stakes in Lost because they were original characters heading towards a conclusion one way or another. And so to go deep into the text and whether it means you, you know, start reading about John Locke and Hume and all the philosophers that were mentioned or the Egyptian mythology, did all of it add up to something? Not necessarily, but all of it influenced our understanding of the characters and allowed us to make predictive games or hopes or suppositions about where these people who we become invested in might end up. In Marvel, the noise is the signal. It's all noise, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's so much of it to draw from. Agatha Harkness in the comic books is a witch who was around in Salem, you know, and has a connection to a character that a lot of Marvel fans want to show up, who is literally the devil, mm-hmm. Mephisto. They want Mephisto involved in this. So is that Ralph? And maybe. Could be. What does it change if it is or it isn't? I, I think from a macro perspective, I'll say something that I think we've articulated before or tried to, which is I wholeheartedly support and even um, enjoy Kevin Feige and the rest of the brain trust at Marvel's commitment to the most bonkerballs corners of their comic book universe. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a version of, of, of this opportunity to make a TV show where they say, well, we have these two Avengers characters. Let's just have them have more Avengers adventures. And instead, they are steering right into the skid, which is that over her 60-year history of publication, the Scarlet Witch has been an evil mutant, an Avenger, a actual witch, you know, with connections to the actual devil and back again. So kudos to them for embracing all of it. That's what good comic book storytelling often can do. But it's not leading us to any kind of finite place. It's leading us into the next one, like an Mm -hmm. Endless Runner app on your phone, which is a type of entertainment that we should which I was used to in the 80s and 90s as a comic book fan, and I think we should all get used to now. Get, get familiar with it. I, you, you mentioned the movie experience and the, you know, the, the feeling that you have when you go into one of these things and it's like a, it's, there's an exit there. You get out and you like say, oh, that was great. Can't wait, for, wait six more months or nine more months and I'll see another one. I found that that was nagging at me a little bit with some of the science of this episode. I think in the movies when they're like, we have to lift Sokovia up and then stop it from getting dropped on the ground or we have to take it up even higher or whatever the fuck happens in that movie. You're just kind of like, yeah, this is so loud and big. I, I, I'm not going to spend too much time thinking about it. I, for some reason, when Monica drove that truck and was just like, I can get it through and then the truck gets thrown out and like they built the truck overnight, essentially, like... It's just like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, what are you like, like, I was just kind of like, I'm not like a truck guy or a, a sphere guy or anything like that. But I was just sort of like, isn't there this, this for as, for as elaborate as all these other references are to all these different things in both the real world and in the MCU, 
sometimes they still have like pretty goofy ass action sequences or just like physical sequences. My favorite part was when the FBI agent who has no attachment, whatever to the special government space unit that's controlling the situation started barking orders at the space truck as it went into the extra dimensional, whatever. Um, That Um, being said, I do think that uh, it's been cool to see what I have to imagine is the last few times we'll see Bettany as vision. I mean, you know, no one ever really dies in these things, but like, I, I feel like it's definitely setting us up for really? a, well, I mean, he doesn't exist outside of this place, right? Yeah, but she can change reality. I mean, I think that we're, I think that what we're opening Aren't we up, learning that that's not, that's not a good thing. Well, but we are also at the cusp of the next era of Marvel filmed entertainment where extra dimensional shit is just normal. And the, ad in this episode was for Nexus Pills, and that is, I guess, a reference to a more past-my-time comic book thing, which was that certain characters are themselves nexuses, nexi of realities, and can pluck things and be aware of multiple timelines or dimensions at the same are time. Are people going to get Which that? is one of them. No, but what they're going to do is No, but are people going to be like, first cool, all, there's three Scarlet Witches, and there's like one world in which Vision is still alive? First of all, don't you think that all bloggers should just be sending thank you cards to the show because like Marvel's putting this stuff out here and is single-handedly now Disney is propping up the old school blog economy that like a website can be like here's the 19 things you missed Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like that is content driving so respect we're talking about it I I think that I I definitely don't think Paul Bettany's done doing this Um, I think that maybe it might feel like it for another episode or two it might feel like it at the end of this season but I think that there's clearly demand for it I would also say this is, I'll preface this by saying I don't think this was ever in play or a possibility, but there is a moment when Feige could have made a more, I think, creatively fascinating choice. It would have probably been a um, catastrophic choice for the economics of the world-dominating brand that is Marvel. But there was a version of this where when they steered to small screen and smaller stories, they could have made a Wanda and and Vision show. They kind of drilled down on the really bizarre psychological thing that underpins this, which is a robot without feelings uh-huh. is the absolute object of adoration and love from a very 60s era comic book character who is just the manifestation of hysterical emotional feelings who can, just by being upset about something, can warp reality. Right. And that's fertile ground that TV would love to do something with, but it faints towards that stuff. It winks at it. You know, Elizabeth Olsen's performance is getting really nuanced and strange and strong and and carries pieces of that. But ultimately, it's 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 just a it's, it's movie I feel spackle. like we sound down on this show. We do, because, but that's, for me... But we sound down or are we down? Well, I think it's both. I think that, am I happy that it exists every week to talk about and to watch and to see what they're going to do next? Yes. Yeah, I I am not, I'm not pretending I'm immune to it. It's so, it's so well made. I like this stuff. Mm -hmm. When it, when, when it was revealed that it was Agatha Harkness, I didn't roll my eyes. I went, oh, oh, okay, they did it. You know, I'm, I'm engaged, but I don't find, in terms of conversation about it, I just don't think there's much there there in terms of like the more emotional. Yeah, we, stuff I think we have we been asked a, a couple of, of times, like, why aren't you guys actually like talking about what you see on screen? 
And I think that the way we're having this conversation, albeit very meta, maybe sometimes repetitive, is still like what we're seeing on screen. I don't really know that you need us to go through beat by beat and be like, it was real funny when they punched the guy at the circus and get in the truck. And it was also really funny when she builds this, like she has the crew go out and work on the stoplight and then the kids cross. And the idea that her, there's part of her mind that is trying to stop vision from getting back to her because that will probably end this whole charade. Mm-hmm. Um, like we could talk about the birth of a new hero in uh, Monica Rambeau, I guess, beginning to so become... So she's Photon or Spectrum? I mean, I, I, I guess, I don't know if they've decided yet. Right. But she's she's uh, on her way to becoming an Avenger or whatever she's going to be. So let me ask, we can end by asking you this. Andy, Andy, the just the guy, the guy who loves watching this show or doesn't, but like is watching this show. Joe Sixpack. What's the save here? Is it blow my fucking mind with the next phase of the MCU coming off the top rope and now we know what's going on and Ralph is Mephisto and like it's just like we knew that we know the new villain of the next five years of our lives. Is it Kramer versus Kramer with these two people like being like we can't be together because like even if it's good for us or good for me, it's bad for all these other people. There's no way to do it safely. I can't manifest you back into the real mm-hmm. world without basically taking over the minds of all these people in this town. Or is it, I don't know. I mean, like, I mean, like, cause we're kind of at the moment where it's like the last two episodes would, it would stand to reason would be a Marvel movie. I don't think that they, they don't have that many more TV tropes to, to pay homage to. Right. I mean, there are two paths diverging for these last two episodes and there's a version of it. And I'm not saying this is the version that I want, but there is a version of it where it goes full, like they should have hired Derek C. in France to direct Michelle Williams in it, where a woman realizes right. that her children are fictional, the devil right. is real, and her husband is dead and always has been. And now she has to live in New Jersey for the rest of her life. Like, although shops in New Jersey, they just legalized weed. So maybe that would help mitigate things. They're not going to do that show. You know, they, it's and it's okay. We should all admit that. I guess what I'm continuing to struggle with is that the show and the people making it are so smart and they're so good at what they're doing that they wink towards that show. They, it's like the simulacrum of that show. There will be some of that emotion brimming in Elizabeth Olsen's incredibly expressive eyes. But ultimately, it's, gonna, it's just going to do a handoff to whatever's coming next. And, I, and I, I think what would surprise me is that if the finale did something like what you're alluding to, like I, I still think this is just a relatively small bore early entry into their TV expansion. I don't think Thanos is going to be in a post credit sequence or Thanos 2.0. I hope you not. know what I mean. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this will there there will be a puppet master behind the scenes, not the actual Marvel character, the puppet master, who <laughs> who who will build slowly over the next few things into the next few movies. And as we've said when we started talking about the show, we actually don't know still what the next phase is because there were no movies this year yeah. and they've been they shot to shuffle play, their deck and they play these things so well they just they don't need to tell us because everyone's doing their work for them getting hype about what it could be mm-hmm. you know i mean at this point what do you think what do you think the reaction would be if john krasinski didn't show up at some point wearing lycra suit with a four emblazoned on the chest like i think people it, would be disappointed we are at the stage yeah. where Actually, because of the lack of films and the lack of direction from HQ, the fan community has gone past, has advanced on the board 
past where reality is in terms of the and reality, like actually filmed entertainment. And so now the expectations, I mean, yeah, you got your Agatha Harkness. We got that one. But unless... He's he's know, he's the engineer that I was talking about. He was the person that she was texting. I was sort of surprised when they got to the to the field where the the sort of the truck was waiting and I thought that the that they were kind of building up to Reed Richards brings the truck right out and it was just like look what I built for you. And instead it was you know some other soldier. You know what the other thing is it'll be interesting to see. Here here's something that I'm looking for. It doesn't have to be the big villain for the next few movies, but I I will be very very curious to see if they pull the trigger on introducing a major film cornerstone on a TV show. Has that barrier broken? Is that yeah. meaningless now? No, totally. you're right. You know what you're I mean. Right. Um, that would mean, in a weird way, that would be so crazily significant because they don't, you know, they they took back the X Men characters and the Fantastic Four characters, but in terms of like major A list heroes that have n- not been introduced. Okay, yes, all of the X-Men. But other than that, the biggest one remaining is Fantastic Four and what they would do with them. I just don't think you burn that reveal in episode seven of your first TV show, but maybe maybe that's old thinking. Maybe yeah, it's and all maybe, one thing and maybe, now. maybe this is all we're overthinking it and Brie Larson just flies out of the sky and tells Monica that her mom always loved her, you know, like, or, or something. But like, I, I really don't but know. But that, hap- that, that happens in Captain Marvel too, doesn't it? I, you know. I, yeah, you're right. It'll, it, this, this, this kind of, and this is ultimately. I know this is crazy, but this kind of back. reminds me of like when magazines first started websites, and they would kind of argue about who would do what. You know what I mean? Can we do a top forty if you're doing a top forty? And it's or like at spin, we did both. Yeah, but I so I I know that that's like an incredibly self involved way of looking at it. But like, trust me, for as much as they're saying TV is what where we're going, the streaming is where we're going. I, there's gonna have to be at some point someone's gonna say like, yeah, like I signed up to do nine movies, you know, or. We want to save this for the Hulk movie, not She-Hulk the show. Or we want to save this for Captain Marvel 2. You know, I, I think that's going to be an issue. I also think that it is telling. When people say, why aren't we talking about like the plot? I think we're talking about the most interesting stuff about the show. Which still, for me, remain the corporate and creative machinations and storytelling decisions behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated in it. I think it's really cool and really interesting and worth worth paying attention also, to. Also, just think about how like, they're moving the chess pieces on the game board. What happens within the chess pieces, I, I don't have an emotional connection to it. I have to be honest with you. I, I, I love seeing the stories unfold. This All this stuff has changed just so drastically since Mandalorian came out. And specifically since the second season of Mandalorian came out. I, I think that the idea of, of, of seeing a character of the stature of Luke Skywalker, just like walk onto a streaming television show (laughs) after he had died, you know, everything is up for grabs now. And so I wouldn't be, nothing would shock me. It wouldn't shock me if, if Steve Rogers is in Falcon, the winter soldier, it wouldn't shock me if anything could happen in the next two episodes of this show. But I, I can't believe like, this is one of those things where they're like, you know, for thousands of years, we just rode horses or walked. And then like in 25 years, we were taking bullet trains. It was like, that's how I feel like on TV where it's like five years ago, this was like impossible. Nobody. And we were only just starting to be like Matthew McConaughey does television. What a world. And now we're fucking going towards like, this is all going to be the same thing. And how they dole out these major plot points that they're sitting on and these characters that they're developing is going to be really, 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 really fascinating. But I, I am still waiting to see 
the full commitment to integration. I'm waiting to see. Like, I actually don't care if they do it. I guess I'm I'm curious to see if they will do it. And and what I mean by that is when Agents of Shield premiered, like eight years ago, or whenever that was, mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk that this was We're absolutely yeah. in the movie universe. Here's uh, Agent Coulson, who you remember from the movies, and now that show, well, very successful in its own right did fall prey to the inter-party, intramural squabbling between Marvel TV and the movies. And basically they had to just, ultimately all they could ever do was say, boy, that was crazy, that thing that happened. Let's swoop in and clean up the damage. Mm-hmm. Like there, there really wasn't any overlap. It was storytelling spackle between the movies. And though much has changed and we're dealing with the actual characters now who we also see in the movies, I think in terms of moving the storytelling ball forward, I don't know we might still be in that same pattern. And for example, we haven't seen Falcon and Winter Soldier yet. We're going to see it next month. My guess is it's kind of a series about the legacy of Steve Rogers and Captain America and who deserves to carry the shield. And neither of those dudes are going to become Captain America during the series, unless it happens at the very last scene of the very last episode, setting up Sebastian Stan or Anthony Mackie's debut as Captain America in the next big movie. Right. Do you know what I mean? Of course. Um, none of this devalues it, but I like, I, I guess all this is to say, I like playing Endless Runners too. I just feel a little bit hollow-eyed and vacant after I play them for a long time. We can wrap it up there. Uh, I think we're going to probably talk about Nomadland on Thursday. If people haven't got a chance to check it out, they should do so on Hulu. Uh, we'll also talk about some other stuff. It's great to see you as always. Is Nomadland a Eternals prequel officially? <laughs> Nomad, by the way, a character from the Captain America. Uh, Does he do trip. a lot of work with Puppet Master? They've been known to to squabble, yeah, a, a, on occasion. Yeah, I'm gonna send you. A, I'm gonna send you a, some JPEGs of uh, Puppet Master. Please do. So you know All right, talk to you soon, well. man. Great job, friends.